human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I break it down with the delightful and generous empathy strategist Ajit Dodani. Ajit is the CEO of Empathify You. He brings his extensive background in business and finance consulting to his work as a keynote speaker and workshop facilitator, helping companies foster a healthy, positive work culture. We talk about the importance of self-care and self-love, and the need for leaders to learn to recognize and deal with trauma among their employees. We also geek out on the books that have inspired his philosophy and growth, so prepare to stock up on your summer reading material. Ajit says, the ability to be light in the heart is needed now. Please enjoy episode 31, The Skill of the Future, with Ajit Dodani. Hello, listeners of What's Betwixt Us, the podcast about empathy at work. Today, I have a delightful human being to talk with, uh, who is an empathy strategist, the CEO at Empathify You, the founder of the Momentum Consulting Group, the board chair at My Name Is My Story, and he has a background in finance and business strategy, but has segued into doing empathy work most of the time. Please welcome Ajit Dodani. Hello. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate that welcome. And uh, yeah, it's a, I'm excited to be here. I've uh, heard a few of the podcasts, the one about even hot dogs. So I'm super excited to Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, we like to definitely like to include humor when possible because I think that humor is the best way to dissipate conflict, honestly. I'm in a comedian, so that's... True, 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 true. It completely, you know, when we add that, when we present, when we speak, when we talk, you know, that, that ability to be light in the heart is so welcoming. And I think it's needed right now. As, as much as we're all driven to do purpose work and meaningful work, leaning into moments of joy is, is, a, is a huge value that I live by, by myself is finding those and looking for those moments. And they're so small. I think about it. They're so small, but we have to magnify them. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I completely agree. Even, you know, I want to let the listeners in on the fact that uh, you have this beautiful background, you know, chatting on Zoom, you have this beautiful background with the sky and the water and the colors are gorgeous and that, you know, you have this matching sweatshirt on. And, you know, when, when I, when I commented on it, you said that it was on purpose. So I would love for you to speak a little bit about what, what the colors are about. Uh, that's, that's beautiful that we start with this because this will clearly state my values as who I am as a person. So uh, the water that you see behind me and the blue that's on that stripe represents us as human beings. Always, we've been trained to be like the fish swimming upstream. Mm-hmm. Swimming upstream every day, we wake up in the morning, we jump off cliffs, take pictures of ourselves, post it on Instagram. Hey, I just graduated. Oh, I got this certification. Oh, I got this deal. And, you know, that's the, we're jumping off cliffs, taking photographs. 
But sometimes in our life, it's a lot more difficult, but extremely beneficial for us to be like the water that we're in. Mm -hmm. Just take the shape of water. And when you learn to slow yourself down and be like water, you're able to observe more, see more, sense more, mm -hmm. and get into places that you probably didn't go before because then you're suddenly able to notice things and get around things in a beautiful way. Mm -hmm. So the blue represents the water. Mm -hmm. Be like water, it's a huge value. The green represents stay grounded now because things like mindfulness, things like being present, right? The past creates, creates repression, the future creates anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. How can we as humans stay present with that green now grounded? The green represents the grass and the ground. How can we stay present right now so that we can be present for everybody around us? Because if all of the time we're focusing on where we've been and where we're going, we miss the moments in between. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, sometimes if we're not present in the meeting, for example, we miss the most important thing going on in the meeting. Mm -hmm. so that green becomes stay now. And you want to take a guess at what purple is that? I, I, I won't put you through that. I don't you. know. Is it uh, inspiration? Is it uh, divine spark? Is it uh, royalty? <laughs> you got it. It's number three. Purple is royalty. Yes. And, and what is royalty? Royalty, you look at yourself as royalty. Mm -hmm. Self-care, self-love, and self-worth above everything else. Because the world is not going to do that for you. If we wait for the world to do that for us, we as leaders are always seeking approval. But if we have our values right, and we have a compass right, then we can look back at ourselves and pat our own selves at the back for what we've done, the best effort we've given. And we can look at ourselves as royalty and not be awed by these amazing people out there. So that's a, that's a little, your little journey into. I love it. I love it. It makes me. I mean, it's not it's not for this podcast, but I immediately I want to be like, oh, I have this great guided meditation that I feel like lines up with this. But we can do that after. I I because I especially love you know, the green and the concept of um, being grounded, which is something that I think about a lot. You know, I live in New York City, which is a, a very, very highly energe energetic place, you know, because there are so many people in such a small space. And the importance to me, even here, you know, where there is very little nature to get to a tree when I can, to put my feet on, my bare feet on grass when I can, because that, you know, that triggers the parasympathetic nervous system and calms us down. And so I, I wonder, I mean, we can jump right in because I, I wanna talk about your work as an empathy strategist and empathify you and, and what it is, because then I wanna get into the meat of, you know, how do you bring these three colors uh, and what they represent into your work? Beautiful, I'm so glad we started this way because I, I always start with values first. Like even if you mm -hmm. see my different profiles, even on Clubhouse, the first thing is who I am and who I'm not. And the biggest thing of who I'm not is I'm not a theorist, right? So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you my story around uh, empathy and building up Empathify You. So um, well, let, let's go back, real back to the story. So when I was young, I would feel more, sense more. And 
I was almost told to cover that part of me and, and said, come on, man up, you know, you, you got to be stronger. You can't feel that way. You got to. And I, I heard that because I heard it from people in power, like they were the, they were the adults. And as I started to come into the corporate world, I suddenly realized that and uh, very early became the CFO of the company, started to scale that. And I realized that my power of an empathy strategy was as powerful as a finance and organization strategy. So, so remember, I became the CFO of a company. But what I was deploying along with financial and organizational strategy, strategies was an empathy strategy, literally the, the ability to create this tightly woven organization, the ability. And as I got a chance to work in an incredible company for years, it was it's called United Colors of Benetton. And that, at that company, my CEO was, was one of the few people that I would say he, he was decent and brilliant at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he allowed me to do what I was doing. And we were able to grow the organization because we grew very, very fast. And when you grow anything, mm -hmm. right, you have to create that fabric of trust and you have to develop that. And that is not built by a checkbox it's built right. human connections when you right. build those human stories so my journey so i've always been an one would consider an empath but i also realized that soon that there is an empathy strategy and then i started doing a lot of research science went through some personal very traumatic incidents that led me into understanding the science behind empathy mm -hmm. so my work has been 30 years of deploying this as an empathy strategy and then when i left Benetton, I moved into consulting for years. And so I created a company called the Momentum Consulting Group, and I provide business services, right? Business and strategy services. And I would never be able to tell people that one of my secret sauces is an empathy strategy, lest somebody would judge me. I'll be honest with you. Right. Because imagine 28, now this is now almost 20 years ago, if I told you and you were the CEO of a company that, hey, I, I provide financial organization and empathy strategy, you look at me going, this guy is on some stuff here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for showing up. But, you know, we're not interested in a strategist that has the strong belief about empathy. Right. So I always hid this work within that. I, I deployed it within all my clients, but it wasn't the obvious first one. Right. I'd walk in and talk about financial strategies, organizational strategies. And along with that, I would deploy everything that I had learned about how to build amazing cultures. Mm -hmm. And then for years, literally, I, and I remember my, my wife and I go for a walk up and down around, yeah, I'd say, I think the world is ready. And, we, and I'd look at it, she'd go, I don't know. Because on the other side, uh, 10 years ago, we had started the education organization, my name, my story, my son had started it. So that's an empathy, that's an organization that teaches empathy and change making. Mm -hmm. So for years, I've got, is the world ready for, a, just an organization talking in business all about empathy, all about empathy. And at the top of last year, just before, I don't know how the world came together, just before the world came to get, you know, went into the pandemic, Empathify You got branched out. But this, and literally every six months, I tell my wife, I think, I think the world is ready. Uh, maybe not. Mm, ready? Maybe not. Maybe. And then January 1st, I had said, okay, January 1st, 2020, the new decade is starting. And I started it. And then you know, the pandemic hit, the social political unrest, and then the demand for the work just started to. I mean, that is some divine timing. 
Oh my God. I, 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 yeah, for sure. Wow. For sure. <laughs> I mean, because it must be, you know, and because I do empathy work also, and of course our social media feeds are curated based on, you know, what we engage with. My whole LinkedIn feed is all, you know, empathy, psychological safety, trust building, team building. And, you know, that's the bubble that I live in, but it really seems like the respect and the understanding of like the, the need for this kind of like EQ has exploded. Is, is that what you found working with your clients that, that people are suddenly into it? 100%, but they only buy in on the financial side of this, right? So when I'm talking, so I'll get invited by say the procurement officer to talk to the board about the program. And within the first 30 seconds, I, you know, I will tell them about their financial loss because of not having a program like ours or, the, or not having the gain because they don't have the innovation because of the gain. And it, as soon as that gets brought to the table, and the thing is, they know that I'm, I've sat in their seats because I was in the C-suite for years. And I'm able to tell them, you, you know, this adds bottom line dollars to you. Yes. For a lot of them, it has to, it has to. And I understand they're trying to serve the bigger cause, but now it, it, it is a requirement, right? Because think about it. Leaders are not prepared for this. They're not prepared. They were never told in, in their Ivy League schools to, oh, wait, by the way, you, you will have to lead a traumatized workforce in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you're going to learn about all these KPIs and the social media. And oh, and, and oh, by the way, you have to lead a team that's diverse. So not only racially, economically, even uh, neuro neurodiverse yeah. workforces, right? Then they're going to be traumatized mentally because of loneliness. Then some people have lost maybe loved ones or extended family. And then maybe they have a, oh, and by the way, you have to lead them. So most leaders are, were not prepared for this. Right. So they need, they need, either, and, and it's no call out to them. This is a time for us to call them in and say, hey, for a long time, just like the bark of the tree, we only saw the heart outside. But we have to remember what held the heart outside was the soft water inside. Because if the water dries up, which is all this, one would call soft skills of empathy, you can break that bark. Yes. Oh my gosh, this is so, this, so this reminds me, hold on, let me show you. I'm reading this book called The Hidden Life of Trees, oh. which I highly recommend. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it's, it's by um, a German, you know, forestry expert and and how much how much we can learn about the human experience and human connection and sharing through trees which are also doing it so i love that you brought that up we have to think about empathy as a resource that is as important to us as food or water and we see that you know over 2020 the lack of in person human connection has caused so much trauma um, because it was overlooked you know it was like oh we'll get back to that later but but it does take a toll. So think about this, listen, you're talking about books, right? So years ago, about 25 years, I was reading two books at the same time. And they both come from the Asian uh, literature. One was The Art of War. Mm -hmm. and one was Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. Mm -hmm. Those are opposite books, right? Because The Art of War was being taught as the book to use in business strategy. Mm. And Tao Te Ching... Is, is complete. And, and I was able to embrace both of them simultaneously. 
And as I look back at the formative years of where this framework comes from, for me, you know, those books became the foundation. Then I, then the book, The Infinite Games got thrown into by James Carsey got thrown in. The Infinite Games that was made popular now by Simon Sinek, but originally back in 1986, James Carsey wrote that book and it just blew my mind about, you know, people talking about playing the right game in the life, right? Are you playing a finite game? Are you playing an infinite game? So now when I do the, the work around as, as an empathy strategist, the first thing I start with talking about books is I give them the framework. What, what, what game are you playing? Are you playing a finite? Are you playing an infinite game? Mm-hmm. And that becomes my foundation mm-hmm. to take them through the next workshops and the, the, the strategy sessions or as an organization or maybe a keynote is just helping them shift their framework from playing finite short-term win-lose games to chasing a horizon which is meaningful purposeful because then you're never losing or winning you're either ahead or behind Mm -hmm. and when you play the infinite game and you 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 know that you're going to have known and unknown players when when you realize you have unknown players you learn to respect everybody that comes in your life because you realize that i can't be a jerk even though I may be brilliant, <laughs> you know, that, that whole concept comes into your life. The whole concept about chasing a, a bigger cause, all of a sudden your team gets drawn to that. So yeah, talking about books, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I, uh, it has completely shaped who I am because you can never slap a book back. You cannot argue with a book. It is tell you the truth. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can throw it across the room, but it's still there. Uh, yeah, I mean, so that's so that's that's really interesting and I love that you talk about that in in these workshops what kind of game are you playing which is something I'm going to chew on now and I would love for you to to talk about more or reveal more you know what practices even if you could just give us a sample of like what practices you bring into companies who maybe don't have that EQ and they are dealing with traumatized employees like is it interactive how you work with them or are you mostly presenting do people have I mean I have a million questions but I'll let you know yeah uh interactive so my presentations happen behind me Mm -hmm. they don't put up any presentation in front of me my presentations happen behind me so this they're seeing me right now virtually they're seeing me I'm starting to book a few in-person events now for September October November which are super exciting, small, you know, we're being really, really mindful, but that's happening. But throughout the pandemic, and I think this medium will continue because uh, I'm starting a series of events in Europe for the European market. Mm-hmm. So super interactive because I, I know what I want. I, you know, I, I keep them basically 90 minutes. Most of my sessions are 90 minutes. Very interactive Q&A in the last Basically, imagine going to a workshop where you see the presentation, you see the speaker throughout the whole presentation, and then I do what's called stage side, right? Just turn all the stuff off and we hang out and we ask questions. So very interactive. So it's, it's a very definitive pathway to answer your question. It's a very definitive pathway that I'm helping companies understand. So first, helping to understand what is the problem I'm solving. I just go back a little bit, right? So what's the problem that, that we're solving for? The problem you're solving for is leaders that are, you know, uncertain, uh, slightly insecure. They were never trained with this. Mm -hmm. They're trying to pound business as usual. 
some of them almost become egotistic because they don't know how to deal with something and, and they'll just go business as usual, right? They just chant business as usual. Right. That comes from, that comes from fear of, yeah, of yeah. the unfamiliar. 100%. And, and the fear comes, think about globally, right? We're in the VUCA economy, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And our workforce, which is diverse, partially traumatized, lacking trust, fractured. Think about all those words, right? And we we're seeing human resources move to human beings and human stories. Because if we don't represent it that way, and there's, I don't know about you, I see it every day, my closest family and friends making big decisions about life, leaving high paying jobs to go and do what's purposeful. Mm -hmm. So if, if organizations don't show up in the right way, don't create the right space, people are going to walk, talent is going to leave. And I know. I've seen some of the best people leave organizations where they're throwing money at them, but they're like, I don't care right now. Yeah. I just want to have an amazing time, be aligned with an amazing company that's going somewhere. Mm -hmm. So the framework, sorry, I, I, I felt first you were about to say something. Oh no. I mean, I I've seen, I've seen tons of it too. And it's so heartening because it's like, we're at this, we've, we've passed this tipping point that I think we would have gotten to anyway, but that I think COVID sped up this tipping point of people saying, wow, I'm suddenly forced to realize what's important to me. What are my values? And it was like a big wake up moment, which oftentimes a collective trauma will do to people, you know? So it's, you know, I don't wish the grief upon anybody, but at the same time, I'm really heartened to see people saying, nope, money is actually not the most important thing. The most important thing is alignment. There you go. Correct. And you bring it to the next point. That I, so then what, so once that framework to so understand the problem is I know for a fact that companies need to reevaluate their values, just like I've had to reevaluate. So I live by certain values that I see every day, right? Because I want to make sure my compass is true north, right? So I added equity recently to my values. So these values have been built over the last 20 years because I never understood equity like I do right now. And then maybe moving it towards justice if, if I feel I can move in that direction, right? So companies need to revalidate values, rebrand themselves, refocus on culture, retrain our leaders and re-understand our customers. And once we do that, and this is all part of the empathy strategies, then we, that this is what I am after, right? And I, I wanna read this out to you, right? Once I know who I am and I empathize and learn to respect who you are, we're able to respectfully sit on the same table, bringing our whole selves to solve any problem that comes our way. Mm -hmm. That is the horizon that Empathify You is chasing. That is the horizon Ajit Dodani is chasing. Organizations that can operate with that framework. So what that means is that first is about going through who am I, mm -hmm. then understanding who are we, mm -hmm. and then number three is what problems are we solving. Mm -hmm. And the Empathify You goes down that entire journey of who am I, who are we, and so the first thing, and then what problem are we solving? So that's the journey that we end up going through the program, right? And through that, I, I have about 27 modules based on what an organization's going through. So obviously it's very prescriptive. It's, you know, a lot of understanding 
of a lot of discovery of the culture and the people and the leadership before we go down a pathway of four, eight, 12 workshops in an organization and a very prescriptive pre-post to see what people are resonating with, what issues. Mm -hmm. So that's the journey that we take them through. Who am I? Who are we? And what problem are we solving? Mm -hmm. I love it. And you know that that the quote that you just read, which that's that's your quote, right? That is the by you motto. It's like I hear that and I'm like, well, yeah, duh, of course. And it's so crazy to me to think that that's not the default setting that so many people are on, Absolutely. you know? It's, it's, you know, it's the Johari's window, the third quadrant, Mm-mm. what you don't know. So Johari's window has four quadrants, what you know and what others know. Second quadrant is what you know, what others don't know, right? So the first one is how I look, my glasses I'm wearing. The second quadrant is uh, what I know. So I know my social security number and you don't know. The third quadrant is what I don't know that you know. Mm-hmm. I may have bad breath. I may be passive aggressive. I may have body language that turns you off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So those, those, that quadrant you learn through a mentor. And the fourth quadrant is what you don't know and what nobody else knows. And that is through the books and you know, finding yourself. Mm-hmm. So most leaders right now have a lot, you know, people used to say it's either black or white, right? right. And then there's a little gray area. Right now there's a sliver of 5% of black, 5% of white, everything is gray in between. Yeah. Yep. Right? So, so how do you operate in that space? You operate in that space when you are secure with yourself. So my journey, the reason why the first thing starts with who am I? I recently had a CEO that I said, okay, so what are your values? And that was literally the response. What are your personal values? What are your personal values? And silence. He could recite his values of his company pretty well to me. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you about that. And he, he couldn't recite his own personal values. Wow. So... So, so, so here, so first you find out what game are you playing? The next step is you find out what are your values, mm-hmm. what are your organization values? Then you see what values are you not living? What, what portion are you covering? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest, most demanded talk right now that's coming from my side is the concept of covering. Are you familiar with covering? Uh, maybe I'll just explain that a little bit. Yeah, Cover- Explain it for the readers. Mm-hmm. So um, Kenji Yoshino wrote this book about 11 years ago uh, on covering. And covering is what he calls a hidden assault on our civil rights. And what it means is we all cover, right? We all cover portions of ours to fit into an organization right. which has people of power in there, right? And covering is, it's not something that's mandated, but it's a joke, it's a remark, it's some things that are said. And, you know, some simple examples could be, and very, very powerful, uh, a woman that gets engaged and doesn't wear her engagement ring to the next meeting because she's scared that somebody may think of her as less. Mm. Because now she's engaged, she's going to get distracted. Or when a mom talks about the kid not feeling well and she has to go home, and when she leaves the boardroom, the rest of the people look around saying she's getting distracted, versus when the man does that, 
the man has said, wow, well done, you know, you did that. Mm -hmm. Or someone like me who has a name like Ajit is told, hey, do you have an anglicized name? Ajit means invincible. Every time you say Ajit to me, you're saying invincible. I'm feeling bad. But, but if you ask me to call myself something else, which I tried to do to fit in at one point in my life. Really? I did. Because you, know, you almost feel that indirect when you're not sure of yourself when you're young and you're not, you try to fit in. But I remember saying, no, my name's Ajit. Mm-hmm. And just like I had to learn how to say Frank, we're going to learn how to say Ajit. Mm-hmm. Because for me, my most important thing for you, the most important thing is your name, right? So imagine if people in power in organizations truly understand this concept of what they do that force people to cover. Right now, people that are different, not the main stream, right? People who have any kind of diversity spend 35% of their mental energy at work covering. Wow. 35% of potential that is lost Mm -hmm. by leaders because of their behavior Mm -hmm. and how they show up and how a man has to show up and how a woman has to show up. And all of this comes systemically from years of, of leadership training that came specifically written by people that were in boxes and they were trying to create boxes and people yep. that were outside were never called into the box. In the, in, in the men's space, it's called the man box, right? So people inside the man box showed this, this is how a man has to show up. He has to be strong. He doesn't show his emotions and all. And all of a sudden, this culture shows up at work and their organizations and what, what, how does that impact bottom line? 30% less innovation. Mm-hmm. And I can't, it, organizations that allow people to show up as their fullest self, where the leaders understand these, and they're very specific. Like I run a series of three workshops just on covering, right? Most people at the end of it, I mean, some of the comments that you end up reading is, is it just, it's just blows my mind how leaders walk away saying, oh my God, I didn't know my behavior was costing my company so much. Mm-hmm. And those are my post-event responses on this stuff. So who am I? Finding your values, finding your brand and understanding what you're doing when it comes to covering, when it comes to empathy, when it comes to the word choice, active listening, how do you build trust? Are, one of the things that's needed now is we need to rebuild trust in our you know, workforces, yeah. right? So yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very deliberate, as you can see, it's a very, so this is my finance side, my very systemic side, like, you know, that, that over the years has created this process that takes somebody or an organization down this pathway. Well, I mean, that's, but that's what's needed, right? So like for a person like me, who is just so far out in the left field of like the fluffy and the woo woo and the artist and all that. I'm not the right person to speak to a lot of those organizations because they would be like, why should we trust you? You don't have corporate experience, but you, Ajit, have the corporate experience. You've been, since you've been on the inside, you can put these concepts, these vital concepts into language and structure that corporate leaders can understand. Right. Uh, you know, you, you straddle, you straddle those worlds, which is such a superpower. 
Thank you. I wrote an article, uh, why I'm doing this work, and it's my article on my, I'm exploiting my superpower in the service of mankind. So you, you nailed it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's given us a great chance. And, and you're right. I, I know that I'm getting invited into places because of that unique combination. Uh, a lot of times I, I have some friends out of love, just, just purely out of love, and they look at me and they go, oh my God, you're my South Asian brown man that knows how to speak finance and empathy in the same sentence. <laughs> and it's out of love. And these are close people that go, yes, we need you. We need you in our organization. We need you. You know, and, and it is it is true. It's, I, you know, each one of us goes through what's called a moment of obligation, right? And if there wasn't a moment of obligation last year to chase purpose beyond money, I don't know what was, yeah. right? So when my moment of obligation came, I chose to lean into my superpower of empathy, which as I told you years ago, I was told to cover. And now I'm out there running two organizations, one in the corporate world, and then I'm the board chair for education. It is a lot of fun just being able to walk into rooms and just be myself, be talking like in the middle of the workshop. I will tell everybody, okay, I want everybody to put your pen down. I want everybody to breathe with me. Take it in. Four seconds in. Hold. Six seconds out. You know, when I do this, with the folks that are doing it for the first time, they, you know, they'll start squirming in their chairs. Yeah. Like, oh my God, Ajit is going to convert us into something. What is he doing? And then I talk to them about having a, uh, an, a ninja schedule. Like I talk about how you operate as a human being from the way you start your week to the way you start your day, to the way you take breaks in the middle of the day, how you ground yourself. Like the, the, like I, I, I'm blessed I get to coach some very powerful executives. Mm-hmm. And I, and I teach them the practice and I have a whole complete routine around how you run your week, how you run your day. Because if you don't take to ground that green, if the green doesn't come in throughout the entire day, you show up at home and the worst of you shows up at home yeah. or the worst of you shows up at your third meeting or your fourth meeting. Mm-hmm. So are you taking time to ground yourself? I have a prepare, perform, recover schedule that they that I, I coach and I, I don't say coach, I strategize with them over. Because it's, people don't know how to work. They take pride. Oh, I worked 120 hours this week. I'm sorry, you don't get a single applause for me for doing that. Oh, I worked 64 hours. And, and, and I remember once being, watching a review from a man who's one of the C-level folks and it, with, an, with an associate. And I happened to be on the, you know, in the C-suite and he was doing it with the other gentleman. I'm in the room, I'm listening in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about it. And this person says, I'm working 55 hours for this company. And the person on the board said, rather than saying, wait, hold on, there's something wrong here. He said, are you okay with it? And what is that gentleman going to say? I need my job. Okay. But guess what? That gentleman weeks later left the organization because he realized that the board didn't care about his well-being. All they cared was about the bottom line, right? So 
helping people understand that is, is probably the most, that's why I have a lot of you know, Asian philosophy into my strategy that I bring in mm-hmm. to the book. So, so it's an East and West combination. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that is, it's, it's counterintuitive, I think, to a lot of people who are super capitalist to say, no, it actually does help you in, internally, externally, and the bottom line to take five minutes to just breathe mindfully. And I was just talking to somebody about this last night, you know, in the, in the, back when we were all hunter gatherers, if you, if you put together the time that people spent, you know, hunting for their food, you know, preparing their food, weaving baskets, making tools, whatever it was, it was approximately 25 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And here we are championing the 40, 50, 60, 70 hour work week when we have enough resources and intelligence to, to be having so much more leisure time. But, but because, because, you know, capitalism has become so celebrated, especially in this country, it's like the more you, you know, your work is your worth and the more you work, the better you are. But like, who are you better for? Are you better for yourself? And your family or are you just better for the bottom line of of a company and so i think that we are at a huge turning point as we discussed before in terms of really reevaluating priorities and i'm personally very excited about it you and i align in so many ways and you know and the more i see you unfold in front of me it's it's beautiful i think we could talk for hours mm-hmm. the one of the things that i strategize and i challenge leaders to do is I want you to get paid for your third of your time in a week. So out of 40, you get paid for a third of your time. And that's your billable time. A third of your time, I want you to spend networking. And a third of your time within the 40 hours, I want you to spend on Mm self-development. And the rest of the time is yours. So I call it the 13.2 formula. Mm -hmm. 13.2, 13.2, 13.2. And it's a challenge for anybody who's listening to this podcast. Right. And, and, and I, I challenge, and when I do my strategy sessions with people that are trying to move in that direction of life where they're looking for balance, I say, you have the knowledge. You have to get confident in who you are. And if you can then get confident in who you are, express that, and eventually monetize that. You could live that way. Because most people brush aside personal relationships, mm-hmm. right? Most people brush aside that self-development. Oh, I didn't get a chance this week. How many times? And we've said that too. I remember the corporate world. I'd say, oh, I didn't do this. I wasn't able to do this because all in the check of ah, this week, I worked so many hours. I was up late night answering emails and stuff. No glory. Because the, the repercussions of that are seen in the mental health. Yes. All our leaders. Yes. In the relationships. And, you know, I, I, I have a few, uh, this, this one from one of our attendees, not who attended Leading with Empathy, our workshops, right? So this is what an organization bought us in, and this is a response from an attendee. Not only did these workshops open my eyes and give me tools for my professional position, but have also helped me help my teenager navigate through some difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you, I mean, this is purpose, you know, when I get comments like this, when I read post event surveys like this, 
Uh, it just, here's another one, reminded me that I should treat my work relationships with as much attention and care as I do my personal relationships. Mm-hmm. So what did this person think before? Yeah, I mean, think really. About think about it. What did this person think before this, right? Yeah, and, and you know, like, great one. This is called, you know, being present. So part of what my workshops is about just being present, right? And what you spoke about that. So these workshops made me more aware of the stories happening around me every day. It's a beautiful thing. Ah, just I, you know, it's so you know when people ask, "What are you doing?" I I literally say, "I'm changing lives." This is this is when I go out there and I'm being blessed. I you know literally we're bringing on as we speak, bringing on two amazing people that have taken me years to find that will be facilitating alongside me. Mm-hmm. And the way the calendar is going by the end of the year will be a team of eight to 10 of us. That's so Helping. great. You know, we're blessed. You know, I've had a chance to replicate that in the education space and uh, the whole concept of scaling and scaling meaningful impact, right? Yeah. Scaling, scaling meaningful impact is very, very strategic because the people you bring on have to be so aligned in values. So it's taken me months and months and some even years to find people who are aligned, who I could trust to show up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's just beautiful. I, I'm getting a chance to, to get, first of all, getting invited onto tables like we never did before. Never, you know, you, you never got invited as an empathy strategist to the table. Now we are. And then to go in and say, this is what we're doing. It's yeah, so- it's so exciting. It's, I mean, it's almost, it's a lot of, it feels like a lot of pressure because I feel like now people are opening their ears and eyes and ready to take this in before, you know, cause I've always been working in empathy, whether it was in this way or, you know, in performing and, uh, you know, the people who get it, get it, but now people want it. So it's like, oh, how can I show up? How can I show up and bring, and bring this wisdom to as many people as possible? You know, it's on. And, and, and I, I don't know if you read the article on, in February, 2021, Google puts out an article, empathy is the skill of the future mm. by the chief evangelist officer. And it's on my LinkedIn stream. So if you go in there, you'll find it. But <laughs> I, I, I sent a private message. You're 25 years too late. I respect you. <laughs> it is, it is, and it is not the skill of the future. It has always been the skill needed. It is skill of now more than ever, which, which very rightly, giving him credit, he pointing out that you, we need to embrace it right now, right? And if you go back to you know, a statement that Steve Wozniak has told Steve Jobs in the movie, he said, It's not binary. You can be decent and a genius too, right? Mm -hmm. And and literally a lot of times when I'll start my sessions, I I will talk about that quote saying, you can be both, right? You don't have to be a brilliant jerk. You could be a brilliant, decent human being that knows who you are, you're comfortable in your skin, you respect everybody else and who they are, and you create an environment where they can show up, communicate, use words comfortably. And like Brene Brown says, give them grace when they mess up. Yes. And let it all come in so that you can solve the biggest problems of your employees and your customers. And the result of that, my dear friend, 
is that you're going to succeed in a massive, incredible way financially, culturally, emotionally, personally. Mm-hmm. And if that's not what we want, what else do we want? Yeah, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? You know? yeah, I agree. It's, it, it costs it costs nothing to bring kindness into everyday interactions. And when I started putting that into my, into my head daily, I mean, it just, it's a ripple effect. It's, it's an absolute ripple effect. 100%. Ah, uh, I could talk to you forever, truly. And maybe we will more, maybe there'll be a part two. I'll be honored. But I'd love to, you know, you've listened to an episode and I, I love to ask my guests at the end of each episode, a question that comes out of the, the Zany app database. So the idea is, you know, starting conversations with people about non-work related things to get people to unfold each other like onions and really understand each other better. Mm-hmm. So the silly question that I have for you, Ajit Dadani, is if you were a piece of furniture, what would you look like? I would look like a comfortable purple armchair. Mm. Throw on it and a little ottoman in the front that I have upstairs. Mm-hmm. That for me exemplifies a book, a chamomile tea, late night reading. I love it. You didn't even pause for a second. Are you an improviser? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, but that immediately, that's the first thing. That's every night for me. So I it, love it. I love it. Well, where, um, tell the listeners uh, where they can find you, where they can find out about uh, empath- uh, Empathify You. Yeah, at empathifyyou.com and on LinkedIn, and I'm also on Instagram now. So, uh, you know, love to connect. Uh, LinkedIn and empathifyyou.com, reach out and we'd love to connect with you. Amazing. This has been so delightful. I'm so glad we know each other now. I, I completely agree. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to episode 31 of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. To learn more about how Ajit is helping organizations embrace empathy as a superpower, go to empathifyyou.com. That's E-M-P-A-T-H-I-F-Y-U.com. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. Human first, everything else after. Human first, everything else after.